all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. All right, we're starting. Okay. Uh, I Anyone want to enter the show? Let's get ready to podcast! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's uh, Cars and Comrades. And uh, my name is Bryant. And that first voice you heard is uh, Brandon. How's it going? Oh, no, that was an announcer. That wasn't me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm 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 good. Cool. I'm not and, great. Everybody here knows why. It doesn't matter, but I'm fine. Yeah. And uh, there's also Connor. How are you doing? Yeah, doing all right. And Zach, what's up? Yeah, not much. Doing okay. How are you, Brian? I am okay. Uh, so this week we're going to talk a little bit about some labor struggles in South Korea. AKA cringe Korea, AKA uh, <laughs> the the American colony. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Republic of Korea and uh, you know how auto workers were involved with some of those struggles. It's a little bit off topic uh, from, you know, the whole cars part. No, but, no, no, uh, no. I... Auto workers it... count. God damn it. Auto yeah. workers. It's in our wheelhouse. We interpret our, wheelhouse very very broadly everyone knows this is fine we're good auto workers were protesting shit we're good yeah it started on topic and deviated as we are wont to do yeah <laughs> us deviate no never <laughs> do you remember that time we did an episode on fucking sears <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> honestly still one of my favorite episodes we've done it was a fun one i thought it was i think i missed that one. Oh well go I back think and you listen did. yep that's your homework all right <laughs> <laughs> um but uh speaking of being off topic i think we should uh do some car updates um oh, yeah. and uh i think zach since you were gone last time it, i think it's your turn okay yeah that's cool. Um, damn, I don't remember where I was last time I updated. It's been too long. Uh, well, I know you told me that you were talking that you had a, a blown out strut and you were going to replace it with uh, coilovers. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, I It got too bad and my coilovers were taking too long. So I did end up replacing my blown out strut with a uh, just a OEM replacement that I got off of Facebook Marketplace. Okay, uh, and the guy was nice enough to give me another strut as well. He gave me two, so I don't know why I don't need to. But <laughs> he was like, "Do you want this other one?" I was like, "Yeah, why not?" I'll add it to the pile of parts that I have building up in my garage. That's fine. So yeah, my car is driving a lot better now. I think my fuel economy actually got better after I swapped <laughs> it out, which is, huh. I mean, it was it was pretty rough. Every little bump and dip in the road was like clattering my teeth together so it was pretty blown i think it was having a hard time 
getting over bumps and uphills because of it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's going well. I did order a new suspension for it. I ordered flat out GR Lite, which is a uh, gravel rally suspension. So I'm going to have three inches of lift and three extra inches of travel on my suspension once oh, that yeah. comes in. So yeah, what I decided to go up. I was really contemplating whether I wanted to go up with it or down and, and drop the car. And I, I decided I want to drive this thing on the street and the streets are shit. So I'm going up. Uh, so yeah, hope, hopefully Has that's your been to a city in America where the streets weren't shit. Yeah. Is that no. a thing? No, never. I've never experienced it. I, I'm convinced that does not exist. Yeah, yeah. I'm, try- I'm trying to think because like I've driven almost all over the entire country, and I don't think that it does exist in my in my experience. Yeah, maybe no. places where it doesn't snow. I don't Even know. then, I mean, I think the heat breaks and cracks the tarmac and yeah, fucks it up. So you know, there's no way they're fixing that shit. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I forgot who said this, but uh, America is a uh, is a third world country in a Gucci belt. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> yeah. true. Um, okay, so I know where the Bible Belt is. Where's the Gucci belt? <laughs> <laughs> it's on the preacher of the Bible Belt. <laughs> Got him. Uh, shit, I was gonna say something. Now I forgot. Yeah. Uh, I literally work in like one of the highest income areas of the city. Uh, it's literally like where all the biggest corporations and like the people with the most money live and the roads there are fucking terrible. It makes no sense. I'm like, there's so much money in this like five square miles and the roads are absolute dog shit. It makes no yeah. sense. To me. When I, when I went to return that air, compressor to you uh what was it a week or two ago i almost and like there's like a two foot deep like by four foot wide pothole just in the driveway of that that business that you're working in yeah it's insane it's the the roads there are horrendous but yeah some of the most money in the entire state is concentrated in that area so you'd think they'd at least make their roads nice but i guess not i guess the shitty infrastructure affects us all yeah. yeah sure does um yeah I, I think i back to car updates i don't think i've updated since i got my last round of parts for my build i recently purchased a fuel pump fuel or no not a fuel pump sorry injectors uh fuel pressure regulator and a fuel filter so whittling down the list of things that i need for my subaru build slowly but surely i think the last big thing I really need is a turbo. And other than that, it's just little odds and ends here and there, some hoses, connectors, things like that. And then I um, actually talked to a guy, another guy that I bought some parts off of really cool guy. He actually races Subarus. Uh, he builds a lot of motors and he's got a 900 horsepower capable motor, a short block sitting in his garage that he said he would trade my STI long block for. So about to get that uh, once I can get the transportation squared away for those motors, I'll have that. And then I think I'm just going to redo my heads and leave stock heads on it. Just just put some cams in it, have them redecked and all that. And then, do you, yeah. Do you, need, be... 
Do you need cams for this build? Is that going to really help it? Yeah, it should definitely help, especially shooting for top end power. Okay. I'm going with a stock location, stock inlet size turbo. So they say that like a mild cam is probably best for this setup. That's kind of how that turbo is going to breathe most efficiently. So I'm not going to go with like a crazy like V8 chop cam, but I'm going to go with, you know, just a mild cam over stock just to help it with uh, that top end power. Because that's uh, one thing that I really want to focus on on this build is not creating turbo lag as much as I possibly can. I want it to be Mm. as close to stock power band as I can, just bigger. Are you going to, is there anything trick with the, or special with the turbo that's going to help it spool quicker or? Just being stock location and stock inlet size. So it's not rotated will, Mm -hmm. will help a lot with that. So it's, you know, forcing that air in there a lot faster than like a huge inlet size turbo that takes a lot of time to suck all that air in. It's going to push it a lot quicker. Mm. Okay. Being being that it's a you know stock inlet size, won't take okay all day to spool. That um, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, and um, this the turbo that I'm looking at getting has been dyno proven over 600 wheel horsepower on ethanol, so that's kind of what I'm targeting. I might not go ethanol right away. I might just go pump gas for the time being, um, and I should be able to get around the 450 range with that which i think will be a nice little bump in power and then once i get used to that or bored of it i can swap over to an ethanol setup and everything that i have bought so far should support ethanol so yeah i'll I'll start targeting closer to the 600 range i think if i could get mid 500s i'd be pretty happy Um, i think i'm gonna be really happy with like 450 i think that's gonna be an absolute rocket on the street Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Four fifty, like four fifty, will be scary for a while until oh, yeah. it's not, and then you'll need more, of course. But, oh, yeah. um, yeah, that's that's a lot. That's no joke. So yeah, I'm I'm at a little over three hundred wheel now, and it's I've gotten used to it at this point. But that was a little sketchy there for a minute there. Like before <laughs> I got used to having three hundred wheel horsepower, I was a little scared to really get on it. But you know, it's an all wheel drive car, so it it helps a little bit. I'm not you know, yeah. throwing the back end around too much. I'm just, you know, hitting 80 miles an hour very, very quickly. <laughs> You're not having torque steer on the on-ramps? Yeah, no, no, definitely not. I do need to install my DCCD DC controller, the center differential controller, because right now it's yeah. just in, like, maximum rear-wheel drive mode all the time. <laughs> and uh, it's been rainy a couple, well, a lot of days this summer. It's been rainy here in Denver. And I've been sliding corners a little more than I like to. <laughs> <laughs> Caught me off guard a couple times. I thought I was going to hit a curb once, but I I, <laughs> I kept it together, kept it straight. So, yeah. uh, I quick side tangent. When I had my Miata, it had the um, Torsen style LSD, and uh, I definitely uh, fishtailed it around a couple couple corners in the in the uh, wet or in the snow or whatnot, you know, it was pretty easy to do that. Oh yeah. That's always a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much my, my car update. Oh no, I am selling the Audi officially got it on the market, had somebody come and check it out. 
yeah, it was going really well. I drove it about 30 miles down south uh, to meet the guy, and it went really well. I ran out of gas on the way there. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, was going really well. Uh, parked it in the parking lot. Uh, the guy showed up. He turned it on to check it out, you know, and he goes, Hey, do you know what this check engine light is about? And I said, no, there's a fucking check engine light. Are you kidding me? And, uh, so we drove it to advanced auto parts and it's a timing over advance on intake cam bank one. So I've got it in the shop right now trying to figure out what Damn that it. could be. Hopefully it's nothing too serious and I can get this thing sold or maybe just clear the code and sell it to somebody. Right. <laughs> with the code cleared and uh let it be their problem. Uh I'm so fucking over this car. But uh as soon as I get it sold, I think I'm gonna buy a first gen Toyota Tundra with the four point six liter or four point seven liter V eight. Um okay. I found a few in my price range that are pretty decent, a little higher mileage, pushing like the two hundred thousand mark, but from what I can tell, those trucks should be perfectly good out to 300,000 if they're well taken. Oh yeah. That's well, that's look, like that's the thing. I don't care what a rep I don't give a shit about the reputation. When I see over 200,000 miles and the prices they ask for these trucks, I'm like, "No. No, you yeah. got to lower it. It's 200,000 yeah. <laughs> miles. That's a lot. I don't give a shit how reliable it is. That's that's a lot no matter what." Oh yeah, they're all going for like 10 to 15 grand with like 200 crazy. to 240,000 miles. No, that's crazy. Insane. That's nuts. No, not allowed. Again, <laughs> not that's too much. I yeah. I get that they have a reputation. Oh, they can go another hundred thousand, but I'm like, yo, that last hundred thousand miles is not pretty. I don't think, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of repairs and a lot of leaks and a lot of fucking fucking engine lights and shit. Oh yeah, there's some people that are a little more reasonable and like the ten to twelve thousand dollar range with like a hundred and fifty k. That's what I'm really looking for. But yeah, I the way the truck market is right now, they're been selling faster. So than- it's been it's been that way for fucking 10 or 12 years where I've been like looking for like, Oh, maybe I'd get a truck or something that like could in, at least in theory tow my, my race car. And it's just like, Nope, I'll drive the race car to the track to the, yeah. apparently to the day I die. Cause I'm never going to afford one of these goddamn trucks with what they oh, ask yeah. for them. 200,000 miles on all of them, on all of them. I don't give no matter what brand it's like, Oh, it's like 250,000 miles. I want, eleven thousand dollars and i'm like no fuck you you're out of your mind oh yeah sorry anyway i'm just no very necessary rant (laughs) it's (laughs) it's absolutely ridiculous and i think the the tundras just fetch a premium too because they have that reputation of being reliable and you know can go three four hundred thousand miles and all that and yeah it's it's obscene but yeah, I've been looking at those. I've also been looking at earlier F-150s, just something like that, you know, like a that size pickup, something a little bigger than a Tacoma because, yeah, I have the same thought as you. If I start modifying my Subaru, I want to be able to tow it around because I don't want to have to drive a 600-wheel horsepower car to events and, and things. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's not always fun, actually. It, it can get a little overwhelming when you're driving something like that on the street all the time. Okay, here's what you businesses. do. Get a Lexus LS400 <laughs> okay, and a Sawzall. No. <laughs> I already have the Sawzall. I'm in. I'm in. Give me the rest of the plan. What do we do here? Get the, the bed off the Ranger and just weld that shit on there. <laughs> uh, I love it. 
I'm oh, back in. Great plan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's basically the same engine as what's in the the Lexus, but with an iron block and a little bit bigger displacement. And those Lexus motors, at least one of them, is run for a million miles. So wow. like, I if anything, the iron block version should be more durable. But yeah. I don't know. What I'm saying is, you should put a big turbo on it. Also, <laughs> I never ask how many miles a Lexus has on it. I just ask how many blinks its turn signal has on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. In Lexus terms, it's going to be under a hundred for most of them. Dozens. Dozens of blinks. <laughs> hey, you'll never have to replace a blinker on it because they never get used. Do- dozens of blinks and never once during a turn. they accidentally bumped it and turned it on once and they had to take it to the shop to figure out what the problem was half of my flashers are on i don't really understand what's going on here could you fix this for me honestly when i'm drifting i wind up like finishing a run a lot of the time and i'll like just like have my turn signal on or my windshield wipers (laughs) will go on when i'm drifting happens all the time it's so funny Okay. It would actually be a pretty sweet flex if you could turn the blinker on for every turn that you drift and like it was blinking the correct direction, you know? <laughs> that would be that would be cool. Although somebody I don't know made who... a somebody made a custom turn signal switch for my for my van and it's like twisted uh iron. It's like really big and heavy and uh if you have your turn signal on and turn your wheel the opposite direction really fast, it'll click off hard enough to throw it into the opposite position. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I often have my turn signal on that I did not put on just driving down the road. Cool. <laughs> it makes me feel rich. <laughs> yeah, as that's, that's the closest I get to acting like a rich person. Yeah, sometimes I change lanes without putting my blinker on and I'm like, wow, fancy. I'm class right now. It's almost like I'm in a BMW. Sometimes I change lanes uh, into a Tesla just so that it has to slam on its brakes. (laughs) No joke, I do that all the time. If I see a Tesla, I'm like, you're getting cut off. (laughs) Uh, It's fun. It's a good time for everyone. Except for the idiot who bought a Tesla. Yeah, but I mean, fuck him. Yeah, he was already having a bad day anyway. (laughs) Yeah, he has to drive a Tesla. I mean, he's not having a good day. So anyway, I'm sorry, Zach. You you drove the car you were selling to the to the buyer or the potential buyer. I did. Crazy. What? This is a that's a buyer's market right there. What the fuck? It for that car, it really is. I mean, they're they're hard to sell. And to be <laughs> fair, he was coming from like an hour south, so oh, he geez. met me halfway. Well, that's fair then. That's fair. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've done that before. That's yeah, fair. we we met up halfway in between. So okay, that's not know. so bad. It's reasonable. I'm not going to go driving trips all over the world for somebody to buy it, but you know, I'll meet you halfway. You think, so do you think, uh, so it's in the shop now. Do you think this person might still be interested in buying it? Yeah. They, they actually said that if I got the check engine light figured out that they would pay my agreed upon price, which I was asking seven. We kind of went back and forth, came to 5,500. It's not what I would have preferred, but I mean, yeah. it's a 20 year old German luxury car with 147,000 miles on it. It's, you <laughs> yeah, know, 5,500 is not bad. Yeah, Honestly, it's sometimes... out of my possession at this point. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it is a bit of a white elephant, isn't it? Yes. If I knew what that means, I would definitely agree with you. But I I have no idea. It's an elephant that's white. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That makes so much more sense. So, I I don't know. I guess I can explain it if you guys want. I it's um, it's like uh like medieval India. There was um like, I guess a albino elephant was like a holy creature or whatever, and. Mm -hmm let's say if the king gave a white elephant to a nobleman as a gift, it would basically uh, not be able to like, you couldn't force it to do any work for you. So you just had to feed it like bales and bales of hay every single day to keep it alive. And so it just ended up costing you money. And it was basically like, here's a gift that will ruin you financially. Great. Okay. Nice. That that makes a lot of sense. Description. Very apt description of a 20 year old Audi. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's so good. I've heard the expression used before, but I didn't want to look dumb and ask. So uh, now I know, and that's that's good. That's gonna. I'm be, fine with looking dumb, so I'm glad. That's to my know car. That. Yeah, that's my car too. Like when I sell that Camaro, that's what it is. It's a fucking money pit that I will hopefully be able to give to someone else to pour money into. <laughs> There's always another sucker out there <laughs> willing to make the same mistakes you've made. Yup. The uh, the potential buyer actually said when the uh, check engine light came on, he goes, "I fucking hate Audis. I don't know why I'm trying <laughs> to buy another one." <laughs> and I was like, hmm, "This bodes well for me selling this car." And then he was like, "Yeah, so I'll still buy it if you get that checked out." I was like, "Okay, right. I see you too like making poor decisions." <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! That. Yeah. I don't know why that's like so ubiquitous for all car people where they're like, I hate this thing. I'll buy it next week. Or, you know, like <laughs> here I go doing it again. And you're just like, but you hate it. You just said so. But I get it. I do it. I just can't explain it. I've been I trying think... to figure out if I hate my Cutlass because it's, I actually really like it and it looks cool, but it's just betrayed me at exactly the worst spots at the worst times. <laughs> And I, so it, I just have PTSD around it. Yeah. I think, I think we all have the same form of like childhood trauma where we're like, hey, if I'm feeling hate, at least I'm feeling something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you more about my uh, Saru in a minute, but like I did finally get it running and, you know, like I, I've been thinking like every time I've been fixing it the last, you know, what two three months or whatever how long it's been i'm like i i should fucking sell this thing and get a more modern car and then i drove it i'm like nope i love this car <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yep that's the love-hate relationship with cars you fucking hate them when they don't work and then they start to work again and you're like oh god i missed you i missed you <laughs> so much it's like when an I abuse of x when i worked I across picture. the city i worked far enough away that I did the math and it was going to be cheaper for me to buy like a Prius or, or something like with decent gas mileage. Like it only had to be like high twenties miles, miles to a gallon. It would pay for itself in the gas savings of not driving my van to work every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, once I crunched the numbers and realized that like I could do that without spending more money and I wouldn't have to worry about wear and tear on my van and all that stuff, I still didn't do it. because then you would have to drive a prius every day and like that's not worth it that's not worth it at all yeah i like my vans 
You know what I actually hate about the Prius the most? The interior. I feel like I'd like it a lot. I just, it's weird. The setup is weird to me. They put shit in the middle of the dash that I'm just like, no, that should be right here in the middle or right in front of the driver. I don't like it. Yeah. There's just weird shit that you do in the interior that that makes it weird. It is kind of like someone took a Camry or Corolla or whatever and, you know, dressed it up for like a sci-fi movie is like, you know, one of the props in a sci-fi movie or something. Yes. And it's about that quality too, I feel like. Yeah. (laughs) I actually don't think I've ever been in a Prius before in my life. Oh, wait, nope, that's a lie. That's a lie. My friend had a Prius, and I was in it one time. But that, other than that, I don't think I really paid attention to, like, the setup or anything. So I have no idea. I talk a lot of shit about them, but I don't really They're know weird. I, they're just weird. I feel like you could get used to it, but, like, it's 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 a little, it's a little funky. That's all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every car has its quirks. One of my coworkers was pointing out a couple of years ago, like, why do all the like electric and hybrid cars have to look weird? Why can't they just like like look like a normal car? Yeah, you know, I think they're really like trying to like lean into the like it's electric, and I'm like, I kind of just want it to be a car that's right, electric. Right. Like, please just make a car and then say it's electric. Like, yeah, no, they got to make everything unique and futuristic and and fancy and hard to use. That's like thumbprint it's to just, unlock the door and shit like that. Please just please just take this electric car and put it on uh, train tracks and bigger and string <laughs> like a hundred of them together and just have that be a car. <laughs> It'll be self-driving. That's a great idea. That's a really good idea. You should pitch that to Elon Musk. Elongated Muskrat. That's his name. Uh, yes, it is. The the traitor to the country of Ukraine. (laughs) (laughs) He's done treason Uh, against the country that he's never been to. Yes. Uh, All right. Well, Connor, I think it's you for car updates. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep mine pretty brief because I haven't really done terribly too much. Uh, I mean, shortly before the show, I spent about 10 minutes finally putting the handle onto the hydraulic uh, handbrake I have in the car. Cause um, so the last time I had like, I think, or I think I mentioned on the air, I, I switched up my hydraulic handbrake setup. Um, so I used to have the setup that was like mounted to the trans tunnel. It was like some, re- some old school eBay fucking handle that was like, I don't know, two to two and a half feet long. And it's, I had a custom bracket and everything. And it's, it was, it was a poor installation on my part. And it was a shitty handle and all that stuff. Uh, so it's never, so like it's been in the car for years and it's never really locked up the wheels. So like it is so fucking pointless. Um, but it so looks finally, so cool. It did not even look cool. Like oh, in my no. opinion, like it kind of did, I guess like it looks kind of, but like it, it kind of sucked. So uh, I did, I did install a new setup that like they have a, a GK tech has a setup where it, mounts to the uh shifter uh location on the trans like on the trans tunnel up on top and then it's it has a section that like slips under the fucking trim and just hangs out there and it's real thick and meaty so like it's you don't have to cut any trim or anything and it just puts everything in a good spot that's like way more comfortable because like i had this like bracket that was digging into my leg every time i drove the car (laughs) um So it's just it's it's moved it up into a better location. And the other thing it does is 
it is a reverse uh it's reversed actuation so like before mm-hmm. i would pull the handle in and like the master cylinder is on the backside towards the uh seat so like you pull the handle and it pushes the pin in with the handle whereas now my setup is you pull the handle and it's it's uh it's on a pivot point and so the bottom of the handle goes forward when i pull it back and pushes mm-hmm. the piston in so it's a different setup but it's i think it's a little more efficient the handle is about 18 inches long or something um so it is much shorter so the thing is instead so like my old handle was really long i'd have to like i'd have to pull it you know you pull that handle a foot and a half and it barely locks up the wheels this one i i can't say i've tested it out like actually driving and trying to lock the wheels but like you can only move the thing a maximum of like six to eight inches like you can't move it that much because it's that tight uh which is nice because really you don't want to you don't want to have to pull something 18 inches to have it actuate while you're drifting that's just that's a lot of movement that you don't want to do so like it's really easy to pull but if you have to pull it a fucking mile to do anything it's not very useful so this new setup uh it moves it, it has a much shorter actuation it looks a lot better in the car it has a nice it's got this really cool red handle and everything instead of like looking black and blending in so like you can see it now which is kind of cool so it so Very far cool. red yeah, makes it, it faster yeah red makes <laughs> it cool. faster it adds 10 horsepower so yeah. it, it's just it looks better it's like way more comfortable to drive with it and it is just it's situated in a better spot so like everything about it it's better one problem I have now is um, if I drive with the windows open at all, their air comes in through all the bolt holes that used to hold the old bracket, and it's like hot air right now. Um, like it's warm outside, but then it like passes right by the engine and then the trans and the catalytic converter, and then it hits my leg. So it's hot. <laughs> Um, so if the windows are closed, it's fine. But if the windows are open, uh, there's just hot air pouring into the car, uh, through like, I think there was like four bolts holding it on. So there's four bolt holes that I have to figure out a way to plug. I'm either going to put the old bolts in there and just fucking be a hack and just put a bunch of bolts in there and close it up. Or what I might do is, I don't know. I might like cut out a piece of, I don't know, something or other garbage, steel, whatever, put a bunch of silicone on one side and fucking slap it on there just to cover the holes and seal it up. Which is a less hack option, you're saying? I, I'm I'm thinking that's a less hack option. I'll cold weld it too. Like, you know, I'll cold, okay. I'll cold weld the fucking sides of it, but like put a bunch of silicone on one side so it fills all the holes and I don't get a bunch of air coming through. Uh, I am nervous that this won't work and that I'll like, maybe it'll be a hack fucking thing that'll just be like, it doesn't work. Uh, which would also be bad. So I don't know how I'm going to plug all those holes, but uh, I have to do something about that. I mean, I would have just done some duct tape on, over the top of that and called it good. But... <laughs> See, I feel like my option is slightly less hack than duct tape, but oh yeah, I should try duct tape first just to just to prove out the concept and see how it works. You know, like ugh, I don't know. But anyway, I got to plug those holes at some point because um, I I don't know. In the winter, it's either going to be like nice because it's heat or it's going to be super cold because like i don't know either way i should probably plug those holes up somehow um but the new brake is super cool or feels cool right now uh i'm going to test it out on the track on tuesday so 
Uh, I'm going to finish up work, drive to the track, and give it a fucking try. So we'll, we'll see how, if it actually locks up on the track or whatever, uh, that could be a very big improvement over, you know, the factory handbrake. Um, so that's, that could be a good option there. So is it actuating the rear brake caliper or the yeah, rear brake calipers, or do you have a second set of calipers that it's it is actuating? So there's two, so there's two different setups that one could use. You could add a second set of calipers in the rear mm-hmm. and that is like, they just call that a dual caliper setup. And what would right. happen is you would have a master cylinder that has its own fluid reservoir and it just goes straight to those dedicated um, calipers. That's not the setup that I have. The setup that I have uh, instead uh, rips out all your shit out of ABS, takes all the ABS stuff out, and uh, you just rewire the lines to fucking you put a bunch of T's in there. And I don't know. I got a kit years ago. So I just fucked up all the brake lines, put them into all these different directions, and this is called an inline system. So when I actuate that um, lever, it goes to the existing um, rear caliper brakes. Um, it doesn't uh, affect the front, obviously, uh, but it right. is in line with the whole system. So like when I hit the foot brake, the fluid is still traveling through the handbrake there. You know what I mean? So okay. like, I and it's still tell- working for your front and rear brake calipers. Like both of them are working when you hit the front, front the foot brake. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. But when I hit the handbrake, it's only the rears. Gotcha. Now, if I so try you don't and have like ABS anymore, no, <laughs> no, um, I have yes. the ABS block, but like I pulled all the lines out of that, and there's they're just totally separate now. Um, sometimes I have an ABS light. Sometimes I don't. I don't know how that works because like this car does not have ABS anymore, and it should. Theoretically, it should be throwing a code all the fucking time because it's like super not working. But I don't know. Mm. Yeah, my dash looks like a Christmas tree most of the time. It's <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of lights. Most of them I can ignore. I wish but... you the lights at my dash worked. <laughs> <laughs> um, now it's now the the problem with the setup I have like. Technically, if you have like a dual caliper setup, if you hit the foot brake and pull the lever, you will get like extra braking power Uh, under the system that I have. If I hit the foot brake, I probably can't. I can maybe marginally pull the handbrake, but like there's a huge resistance. So like it's not doing anything basically um, because it's all part of the same system. Right. So like um, you don't have that option, but usually you don't need that. So um so yeah, mine is an inline setup is what it's called. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to try it out. Uh, and then I've got another drift event at like the super fun track in a few weeks. So um, right now I'm kind of like seat time, seat time, seat time is really what I need. Yeah. So that's that's really all I've got going. Uh, I mean, I did. So today, I the reason I didn't have the handle in, in this setup, by the way, is because I don't know if I lost them or if they never sent them, but there's these little inserts that go into the lever. Uh, Cause there's like a bolt that goes through around the pivot point, but like it's much smaller than the actual hole in the handle. So they supply these like plastic inserts that go inside there and like keep it from moving around. Uh, when I first installed it, I installed it just to make sure everything else was good. But like the handle had like, you know, a good, half inch of play in it or whatever it was just like clunk 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 so um it it was flopping around all over the place so i had to 
uh, email them and have them send me out new um, inserts. And so I finally installed the inserts with the handle today. And I pulled it. A f- I mean, really, all I have is I pulled it a few times, but it feels real fucking good. So, so nice. I'm excited to try that out. Um, and hopefully for the next few events, um, it should it's starting to cool down a little bit. So hopefully I won't have to worry too much about uh, heat management. Um, but I do have some new gauges that I'm going to have installed that are going to help me monitor some of that stuff. But of course I got the parts and, you know, different sensors have the wrong thread pitch and fucking all this bullshit. So I have to like email the gauge manufacturer and find out what the fuck they sent me and like, all right, so what am I going to do with this and that? But, um, so that's kind of an install coming later down the line. But for right now, car's good. It has a, theoretically a working handbrake which or a like hydraulic handbrake which i have not had the luxury of having uh before so very excited to see how that works out but that's pretty much all i got i guess that wasn't that brief (laughs) (laughs) it was as brief uh, as we could expect you to be reasonably i suppose yeah so who's next that uh bryant that's bryant sure so i've been kind of busy but i'll try and keep it brief um I like I said I, I got my Sabru back up and running. I um had a, a good bit of help from Zach uh loaning me tools and uh uh I forget if I said this last time, but I just, you know, decided to leave the uh the old uh cam seals in there rather than, you know, break off the bolts and whatever. Oh yeah. But um I, I did kind of panic there. I thought I did something wrong with the timing belt, but I got it working and running and I drove it around to do errands yesterday, and it drives good. Uh, no more vacuum leak, uh, you know, throwing codes or anything. Hell yeah. It does leak a little bit of coolant, and I think I smelled gasoline. So I might need to tighten up the, uh, you know, hose clamps in a couple spots. Um, and I probably need to, I'm probably due for a fluid change on the transmission and diff. And probably the brake fluid, too. So I should probably do that, I don't know, maybe you know, before the winter, but, uh, and I need to, you know, probably this week I'm going to take it in to get the AC refilled and get an alignment and all that. Um, so it still needs a few odds and ends. I need to polish the headlights. They're getting kind of yellow and cloudy, but yeah, I, I enjoy driving it. It's fun making boost and, you know, I like the new tires that I have on it. They're, they're pretty nice. I got the, all the wheels, uh, all the Saturn wheels that I'm going to put on my MR2. Um, so I just need to decide what kind of tires to put on that. But I guess I'm not in a huge hurry or anything. Oh, and so for Labor Day weekend, I uh, went on vacation with uh, my brother and some of his friends. And uh, we were driving in. Uh, my brother's girlfriend has a uh, 2020 Volkswagen Tiguan. And I hadn't driven like a modern you know, small SUV recently. Like, uh, I, I drove it when they had both been drinking. So I, I was like, here, I'll drive. Um, it's, it's, I, I'm not used to being like sitting up high and like, you know, (laughs) having no connection to the controls like you do with a modern, uh, SUV. Like, you know, I just, everything felt very numb. And there's like a point when I was passing a semi truck, in a curve with like broken pavement. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know what the tires are doing. 
I'm sketched out. Um, but it was fine. Um, it's got, I think it's a two liter turbo engine, so it's got decent power. But um, I think I heard some auto journalists talking about this when those cars came out. Like Volkswagen a few years ago changed their infotainment system and like made it really unintuitive. And like we had a really hard time. Like we couldn't figure out how to get like the GPS out on the screen. Uh, so we're just using phones for that. Like the, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, decently comfortable. It got like, I think 25 to 30 miles per gallon for the whole trip. So um, pretty good. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else. There's something else. I'm, try- I'm sure I'll interrupt someone else to say, oh, yeah. <laughs> else to say. yeah. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't like SUVs for a lot of reasons. I, it, it seems like I'm just driving around nowadays and just nothing I see. I, I only see SUVs driving around. There's no regular cars. And when I do, it's an Altima or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you hear the Altima's going away? No. What? Yeah, they're good. Nissan they're good. is canceling the Altima. So, what are people with bad credit going to drive then? I don't know. Steal an Altima. What? <laughs> what did yeah, you say, Brandon? I said they're just going to steal an Altima. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, don't forget. I mean, people, we're we're moving into you know eight and nine year auto loans soon, right? That's coming up. So, people with bad yeah. credit can just get a ten year auto loan, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and that's where we're headed. And you're gonna. So. Get a five thousand pound SUV that you know gets twenty miles per gallon or whatever, and yeah, soon that's what. Soon people with good credit are going to be getting eight year loans. Like it's yeah. really gotten bad. Which, but I, I feel like it's worth noting that like I, I actually saw a tra- um, someone point out on Twitter that like, and I, I was guilty of thinking that like, oh my god, cars are just so expensive. And someone actually pointed out that no, actually cars are rem- you know remarkably cheap. You just don't get paid enough. Which yeah, <laughs> I think is what people are really trying to communicate is they're like, I, no one can afford cars anymore. But honestly, in terms of like price, they are cheaper than they used to be by a lot. Um, it's just that wages have gone up zero percent, thereby being effectively a pay cut. So uh, cars are not more expensive. We're just more poor. So that anyway, sorry. Sense. That makes like me I feel so much better. better. <laughs> <laughs> the effect is the same. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck. I I spent a hundred bucks at the grocery store yesterday. It fucking. Uh... You got like three things. <laughs> I went to another grocery store to get other stuff too, so I spent even more money. Jesus. Yeah. I, I have a solution for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ride your bike to the grocery store, and you won't be able to fit a hundred dollars worth of groceries in your backpack. Okay. Good day. Oh, I mean, you'll be limited to spending like 50 bucks. Yeah. I thought you were going to say ride your bike to the grocery store so that the camera can't get your license plate when you steal <laughs> all your groceries and then ride away on the bicycle. You know, so many stores around me. I've been taking credit for this and my friends are like, you did not do this. And I'm like, I know it, but just give me this. So many places are no longer you letting you use self-checkout unless it's like with a cashier like assisting you. <laughs> What's the point of that? Even I love that we, I love that we've come that full circle. Like just yeah, really, truly amazing capitalist innovation, right there, everybody. I the the latest uh, 
episode of the Trailbillies podcast that had a really good story about someone shoplifting from Walmart. Um, I'll just go back and listen to that. I forget what it was called, but yeah, fun, fun stuff. Oh, I was going to say, um, I, I am kind of second guessing whether I wanted to get these Saturn wheels. So if someone has uh, 15 inch wheels that they want to trade me, uh, let me know. Uh, Fair enough. Cars and comrades at gmail.com. But, What's the lug pattern? Uh, four by 100. Okay. It's important detail. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why are you second guessing the Saturn wheels? Just because it might be better to have something a little bit smaller and lighter and have uh, more. You'll never know the difference. You'll you will never know the difference. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can I can notice in that car when it's like five pounds low on the tire pressure. So that's I don't know. (laughs) It's it's uh, it's it's quite a bit more connected to the road than a (laughs) Tiguan. (laughs) I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Brandon, I think that's your turn. All right. I, I Ever since I started my new job, I haven't really had a lot of free time. So uh, real easy. I just finally ordered a rebuild kit for a Holly carburetor, and I put together a carb for my Cutlass because I'm so, I stay in my neighborhood so much now that I actually feel a little bit more comfortable driving it in spite of the PTSD that it's given me. If I, If I drive it to work, there's like, one vaguely inopportune spot that it could break down at and everywhere else would just be a cakewalk. Uh, nice. Yeah. My, my motivation for fixing my car is strategically planning where I can break down at. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got it on today, like literally like 30 minutes before we went on call. And, uh, the only real problem was that because it's a mechanical fuel pump, like all the older V8s were, it had been sitting for a few weeks since I, I pulled the carburetor off. So I only got it to turn over a handful of times before I uh, killed the battery. So I don't know, it's, it's batteries on charge right now. And hopefully, you know, this, this time tomorrow, even maybe if I'm feeling uh, motivated, it'll be working again. And I can actually drive that stupid fucking piece of shit. Nice. Yeah. The, the other news is I've, I've been riding my bike to work uh, most of the time three or four days a week uh, I only drive in bad weather or in the case of a bicycle breakdown <laughs> of which there have been three now <laughs> that's too many that how in a bike yeah. there's nothing to it what it what even breaks I will say uh, one of them was just getting a flat it was it's you just on a bicycle it happens you have roads that are you know, littered with just garbage and potholes and shit. You get flats all the time. I didn't have stuff with with me to fix it, so it just stayed at work for the rest of the... or until the next day when I walked home and just drove my van, picked it up. But uh, I broke my... Uh, of, of the bike that I really liked and have had for 12 or 13 years, no, no longer than that, like at least 14 or 15, uh, I broke the frame... Uh, clean, like I, I won't say clean in half because it's not like it's two pieces, but the the seat tube snapped. Jesus Christ! I, it's like I've never met people, who, uh, a person who drives around. Oh yeah, I broke the frame in my car again, <laughs> and now he's like, oh, I broke the frame in my bicycle. It's like, what are you 
doing wrong? Are you dropping it off of a skyscraper every day? Like, how does this happen? I I knew uh, someone in college that broke a mountain bike frame, but uh, that was like taking it off a jump or something. So I used yeah, are you taking it off of jumps. <laughs> no. I just, I, I honestly, like, the best as I can figure is I wasn't using the frame uh, the way it was really intended because it, this was a fairly high-end Italian frame from around 99 or 2000. Uh, it was all, like, aluminum aero tubing, and mm. I think that it was just only ever genuinely meant to be ridden for actual race purposes. It, it was a time trials or triathlon frame. And I'm yeah. just riding it on the worst fucking roads around town. I, I rode this bike for years in Philly, just beating the piss out of it. And uh, I, 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 I like actually I took it to my shop to try and uh, braze the the where it broke because uh, my welder won't yeah. uh, weld uh, aluminum. I ha you, you need to be able to have like an AC rig for that. And it it really just didn't want to take to it. But as I like was cleaning it up and trying to like figure out what my uh plan of attack was i found a uh, numerous other hairline cracks from the bottom bracket up Ooh. and uh, yeah. uh, i just accepted that the the frame's life was over um i've already i have don't know if i, I have the budget for it right now because i'm trying to save for some other stuff but i did find an exact one of those frames on sale for a reasonable price with everything included so i might uh replace it in the next couple of weeks we'll see yeah and then the other day, I broke one of my pedals. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Start on yeah. equipment. Yeah, just just shit. I, dude, I'm a I'm a big fucking guy. Yeah. Um, and I I can't help but assume that at least a lot of this is like maybe not a cascading effect, but I've been riding with a lot of these specific parts. Like those pedals have I've been I I had on a bicycle that I I bought in like 2007. Mm. So, so I mean, like none of this shit's like brand spanking new, but I, I don't know. I've I've, I've put together a, a new bicycle and shit, and I'm actually, I'm I'm remembering how much I enjoy riding a bicycle now that it's there's not so much other transportation related stress in my life, uh, which I feel like there's a larger lesson to be learned there also. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 loving the shit out of riding my bike a couple of miles to work every day and home. And running my errands on a fucking bike and just getting in my van when I feel like it or need to. I'm just like, man, this thing's fucking sick and I haven't driven it in three or four days. I'm going to take a ride. That's cool. Yeah. It feels so fucking good, man. That's the dream right there, honestly. To be able to drive the project cars when you want to and not every day because you have to. Dude, that's, that's what I'm awesome. saying, too. I, I'm, I'm feeling more motivated to get the Cutlass on the road than I have in a while just because I'm – well, one, I, I, if I break down somewhere local, it don't matter. And and two, it's just low stress. If, if it breaks down, I'll get it towed somewhere, and I don't have to worry about shit else until it's fixed. I just do whatever. It's great. Yeah. And I wasn't even kidding. Like I, I, I go – I spend like 50 bucks at the grocery store now just because I can't fit anything else in my backpack. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, I mean, it, it's because riding a bike is fun. It's just something that you accept that, like, yeah, you do it two or three times more. The only thing I found that's uh, slightly sketchy, I shouldn't even say this on air, but you guys know me, I'm going to. It, it's it's a lot harder to, like, ride my bike home drunk than it is to drive home drunk. <laughs> is it? I used, to, I, used to, I used to love getting plastered and riding the bike. 
Yeah, that's a good time. But oh, okay, also I ride fixed gear. Oh, uh, my bike is fixed gear, no brakes. <laughs> so oh, okay, that's that's rough. Okay, yeah, don't don't <laughs> yeah. drink and drive that, Jesus. So I yeah I put together a new bike and like well like two like, uh, I think the first place I rode it to was my regular spot because uh, I've been having a rough week I, I had to put my kitty to sleep so we're gonna not address that further but if I'm talking about having a bad week or the fact that I have been drinking to excess this is anomalous and its behavior that's already stopped um, but yeah man like the like the second time I ever rode. The new uh, bike, which does have a frame geometrically different enough that it takes me getting used to. Oh, God, it was I, I think I nearly crashed within like 15 feet because I was just too drunk and uh, <laughs> just like, <laughs> f- like frantically trying to get my feet into the pedals of on this highly trafficked road where just fortunately it's like 11 <laughs> o'clock and no one's around. But <laughs> as to where I can be like i could be blacked out and throwing up on myself and still drive a three on the tree without fucking stumbling <laughs> nice <laughs> probably best to not to not drive so much in, in that state but you know <laughs> i've received countless compliments from my friends on my ability to drive while blacked out or on my not friends. great not great yeah. yeah, I'm gonna say maybe they're not the most perceptive, or uh, <laughs> maybe they don't have your best interest in mind. There, my, my, my favorite was when I was on on mushrooms with some friends, and they were just like blown away because my van wouldn't start. So I popped the hood and fiddled with stuff, and then it started. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is kind of impressive. That's funny. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> cool. I mean, it was just a carburetor problem. I had it all the time, and I wasn't on so many mushrooms that I couldn't remember that. But they were like, we don't even know what you're doing, like, regular, and you're just, like, barely here doing it. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're a kid and you watch your parents do something that seems really impressive, but then as an adult, you're like, that's really easy. Yeah. All you did was pay a bill. <laughs> wow, that's so hard for me. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, as yeah. soon as I said that, I remember that, like, my gas got shut off last week. <laughs> I. I think maybe it's the hills that are the trouble with biking drunk. Cause back when I uh, lived in golden and didn't own a car, I would bike to the bar or to the Coors brewery and get free samples pretty often. And, uh, you know, biking back was always a little bit of a challenge. Just, you know, it seems to fuck with your muscles uh, a bit. And there's a couple of times where I had to get off and just walk at home. Okay. It was like, uh, I think I can't, I, I think I agree with you for op, but the opposite. So yeah. disagree. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I opposite agree with you. <laughs> no, okay. What, what I mean is um, the hills absolutely do fuck with me more when I'm drinking. But because I ride fix, I ride fixed gear by preference and brakeless because I, I just keep not putting on. Um, I don't like like it. I want to put a front brake on my bike. I just keep not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, riding downhill fixed gear drunk is a fucking like headache, dude, because your feet are going so fast yeah. or you're having to like fight it or whatever. It sucks. Now, if you're talking about going uphill, no, dude, you got all that like liquid muscle in you and <laughs> you can just really power up the fucking hills. I mean, you'll throw up, but yeah. like you can get there. I was going to say that was my experience. I didn't feel so good after doing that kind of thing. Well, no one drinks to feel good. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, 
but you reminded me i have a i have a bicycle update myself i uh i got new tires for my recumbent bike i got the like two inch wide kind of soft tires that are you know a little bit more cushy ride and it drives a lot it rides a lot better now like you know it's like i can't you know fuel all the little cracks in the sidewalk anymore it is like a little bit more rolling resistance like maybe I've got like one of those um like speed camera signs on you know on my street or whatever, and so instead of going eight miles an hour, I'm going seven miles an hour past it. But uh, I I I will suggest you know recommend these tires for a recumbent bike where you know you you can't like sit up off the seat um, to you know get some extra suspension or whatever. But when I was putting them on in my garage, like. I have a shared garage with my um, neighbor since I live in a condo and I had the bike up on, you know, upside down on the seat and the handlebars kind of balanced with the wheel off of it, you know, and without touching it or anything, it just fell over onto my neighbor's car and scratched the hell out of his fender. Oh no. So I, I left a note with my phone number for him just saying like, Hey, sorry, I'll take, I'll pay for this if I need to. And he hasn't, called or texted me so i don't know i still need to like talk to him in person and just say hey i'm, I'm really sorry man but so uh yeah maybe uh project car update on someone else's car uh, mm. in the future <laughs> <laughs> I, I could do a project car update on someone else's car but it's embarrassing and i don't want to do it <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> i'll say my friend's headlight is fixed but their hood will no longer open yeah you don't need to you don't need that all right i think that's uh i think that's our project car updates yeah well uh we'll move on to uh south korea in a minute do you guys want to take a quick break i could grab something to drink yeah Yeah, all right we're back and we're talking about south korea um so this was kind of inspired by an episode of the d program where they were talking about just the general history of south korea and um a lot of the sort of uprisings and labor issues or or, or i should say labor movements that were happening there in uh the 20th century and you know, they mentioned something kind of offhand about how Hyundai workers were involved with one of these uprisings. And, you know, I looked into it a little bit more and um, that is true. Like uh, a lot of auto workers have been involved with, uh, you know, various uprisings and labor actions, but there's also just a a fascinating history of, you know, ordinary workers uh, resisting state oppression um, because you might've heard, that you know south korea is is cap or capitalist or democratic or i should i don't know uh or fashy yeah you might have (laughs) yeah it's it's um it's it's not really uh the most democratic uh country in the world uh especially you know because it was a military dictatorship for uh i think around almost 30 years yeah, but you at know, least it wasn't then, as bad as uh, the evil, awful North Koreans, which were economically more uh, more viable for many, many years. Yeah, 
and uh you know i'll get into this but like basically the the whole reason why south korea the south korean economy is doing better at all i mean besides like sanctions and uh you know blockades and all that kind of thing is uh that they just worked the people to death like you know um basically like fascist levels of worker exploitation uh that's you know people had a good reason to rise up and uh, oppose the government um it just wasn't it wasn't just you know i don't know liberal ideas of of uh fairness and democracy it was also hey we're getting a raw deal here you know so i'll i'll suggest you know i'll put it in the show notes that episode of the d program it's a good overview of the history uh but also i'll recommend the very excellent podcast uh blowback uh, which i believe it was season three three yeah, yeah I'll, season I'll, three. i will second that i i learned so much from that that like i listened to that season and then i went back and listened to the other seasons and that that is I got to say it, that is a better podcast than ours by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's not fair to compare us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. We haven't composed our own music for this podcast. So uh... at least one of their songs is from Guar, which is extra level for oh, me really? anyway. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. I just saw Guar live. They were great. I just missed Guar live. Oh, man. They were probably great. I'm sure know, wait were. a few weeks, I'll probably show back up in your town anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. I have seen Gora a lot, a whole bunch of times. <laughs> I saw them on Halloween once in like 2018, I think. They were pretty fun. Oh, they're always great. I, I've seen them on yeah. some weird lineups. It was like, the last time I saw them, it was like a New York hardcore band and like a sludge metal band and then Guar just being fucking Guar. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, so I'll go through a little bit of the history of South Korea kind of briefly here. So I uh, I probably should have looked this up, but they were occupied by Japan. I, I don't remember the exact year. I think it was around 1900 was when they were invaded by Japan and occupied. And it was basically a, um, you know, like a, a client state or a colony. Um, there were... Uh, Japan was building all these businesses and treating the uh, the Korean people like second class citizens and, uh, you know, uh, suppressing their language, having them speak uh, Japanese and, uh, you know, use Japanese customs and that sort of thing. And then in uh, August 15th of 1945, uh, Japan surrendered and um, Korea was liberated. It was occupied in the north by the Soviet Union and China and in the South by uh, America and the other allied forces. And, you know, they had the dividing line at the 38th parallel uh, between the occupation forces. And just as in Germany, this was seen at the time as a temporary measure, but uh, unfortunately it it, uh, persisted. In uh, 1948, they were officially divided into two different countries. And uh, Sigmund Rhee wa- became the president of uh, South Korea. And I'll apologize uh, for any mispronunciations. Um, th- the good thing about Korean is it's a pretty phonetic language, and um, but I-, I probably will mispronounce uh, some of this stuff. So 
So right off the bat in 1948, um, there were uprisings in Jeju, uh, Suncheon, and uh, Yesu. Ye- Yeosu? I don't know. And uh, that were brutally put down by the uh, official government of South Korea. It's estimated between uh, 14,000 and 60,000 people were killed in all this fighting. Yikes. Uh, so off to a great start. Also in 1948, uh, the government, such as it was, passed the National Security Act. And this was meant to, quote, secure the security of the state and the subsistence and freedom of nationals by regulating any anticipated activities compromising the safety of the state. Uh, so this is kind of vague, but effectively it made communism illegal in South Korea. So like no uh, socialist parties are allowed, basically. It also made illegal the recognition of North Korea as a political entity, uh, organizations advocating the overthrow of the government, the printing, distribution, and ownership of anti-government material, and any failure to report such violations by others. So they made not snitching illegal, basically. Like you had to snitch. That was the yeah, law. exactly. Awesome. Yeah, this is which is like the 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 almost a trope in like dystopia novels where it's like you have to snitch on your family or you'll be put to death. And it's like, yeah, that was really this that was South Korea under occupation from the United States. Huh. Yep. Who thought? I thought they were spreading freedom and democracy. <laughs> Yep. Um, so just in case you think this is like an old, outdated law that's not enforced anymore, in 2002, a new recruit to the South Korean army named Lee was sentenced to two years in prison for having said to a fellow soldier, I think Korean separation is not the fault of the North Koreans, but of the Americans. Oh, yeah, I can't say that. So the military prosecutor's office could not charge him for this comment alone. Uh, but they searched his home and found various illicit books so and charged him uh, under that act. So basically illicit just owning... Uh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> it doesn't is... say what they were, but just owning, you know, any, like, communist literature was enough to get this guy put in prison for two years. So in June of uh, 1950, um, North Korea invaded the South, uh, trying to reunify the country and um well uh go listen to the blowback podcast that is a no one knows for sure who started it or you know it was complicated but yeah exactly the the narrative here is that the north koreans invaded the war lasted uh for three years and killed at least three million people um and also uh during the war um uh, retreating South Korean forces executed tens of thousands of suspected communists or just sympathizers, uh, either in prison or in re-education camps, uh, which was known as the Bodo League massacre at the time. So there was all these, uh, basically, if you were just suspected of being communist or helping the communists, you could get killed. Yeah, and imagine, like, the people that were suspected of being communists, they were suspected of, like, imagine the most the most ignorant chud you can who calls like every Democrat is a communist. That's who was deciding who's a communist who needs to be executed for the record. Mm -hmm. Like that is who was making that call. So, you know, 
Right. Japan invaded uh, Korea in 1910. Uh, that's when they annexed. Okay, so in um, in 1960, uh, Syngman re won re-election. I believe this was his fourth turn, uh, fourth term in office, and uh, there were very credible accusations that the election was rigged. Um, mm -hmm. So there were massive protests because of this. These were brutally suppressed, uh, leading to the deaths of at least 186 people. Eventually, Ri was ousted in the April 19th revolution and replaced by Yun Pusun. That government lasted less than two years before a military coup led by uh, General Park Chung-hee. And uh, in a bid to, you know, legitimate his, uh, his rule, uh, Park had elections and won in 1963. Uh, and this is when he really you know, ramped up the, uh, the fascist, uh, suppression of workers leading to, you know, the, you know, the, the, the economy was booming, uh, but it was really for these big, um, conglomerates, industrial conglomerates called, um, uh, chai bowls. Uh, these are kind of like the equivalent of Japanese Zaibatsu. Some of the examples are like Hyundai, LG, Samsung, uh, Daiwoo, the big Korean come companies that you've heard of and a lot of these are like family owned uh so it's it's very similar to like sort of the crony capitalism that was going on in like nazi germany um where the state was helping out these private uh businesses to build up industrial capacity quickly so in those industries we're all just a big family here yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, Sigmund Rhee was in power for a long time, uh, and in August of 1979, um, there was a sit-in protest at the YH Trading Company, and uh, the workers there were suppressed by white riot police, which uh, resulted in the death of one female worker. In October of that year, the cities of Busan and Masan uh, rose up against the government, um, starting with uh, student protests at uh, Pusan National University. Uh, eventually, it grew to include all kinds of different workers from all walks of life. President Park declared martial law on 18th, the 18th of October and then mobilized the army on the 20th. And then on the 26th of October, uh, President Park was assassinated by uh, Kim Jai Goyal, the director of the KCIA, which is the Korean CIA, uh, Central Intelligence Agency. Korea just kind of, or South Korea, just kind of copied a lot of American institutions. Like they have a Democratic Party and a Republican Party. You know, they have the Korean Central Intelligence Agency, which is basically the same thing as the American. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess unlike uh, certain American presidents, they just did this assassination out in the open. And uh, so there was a, a good bit of chaos after that uh, assassination. There was a brief rule by a civilian president, uh, Choi Koyo Han. Uh, I probably pronounced that wrong. Uh, and then less than two years later, there was another military coup where uh, Chun Du Hwan uh, became the dictator. So 
1980, there was the Guangzhou uprising that he uh, he put down uh, very brutally and killed a lot of people. And then that brings us to 1987, uh, when the uh, one of the biggest protest movements um, started in January of 1987. A student activist named Park Jung Chul was tortured to death by police while in custody. At first, this was suppressed. This information was suppressed. Um, but actually, it was a, a Catholic priest at his uh, funeral that kind of got the word out that this happened um, and, you know, led to even more protests going on. And then there's another uh, protester killed, uh, Li Han Yol, um, on June 9th when a tear gas, tear gas grenade hit him in the head. This eventually led to uh, giant protests with up to 1.5 million people joining into the, into the protests on uh, June 18th, which is uh, it, it's pretty big. Uh, I, I believe that's just in Seoul, but um, uh, 1.5 million, that's, a, that's a quite a few. So eventually, uh, the government issued the June 29 declaration that uh, capitulated on a lot of the demands of the protesters uh, by, you know, promising to amend the constitution and release political prisoners. And this led to sort of a blossoming of the labor movement, which had been suppressed um, under the military dictatorship. The Hyundai Engine Trade Union was established uh, in Ulsan on July 5th. And then um, within the year, 4,000 new unions representing some 700,000 workers were established. Which now, you know, so this is one of those times where to me, I, I think about like, what is fascism? And, and I feel like that's can sometimes be debatable to some extent. And it's, you know, had various different forms, but depending on when and where it, it kind of crops up, but like, that's a pretty everything that you've described so far. I mean, it just sounds like South Korea was an outright fascist country. And I sometimes wonder, like, I feel like we're some people would say, oh, you know, you call everything fascist. And and honestly, I've, I'm like, I feel like almost everything is fascist until proven otherwise. Like, it just yeah. like, I was, I was going to make that joke, but I was waiting for you to pause. And you just <laughs> <laughs> I just bulldozed through it, but yeah. I just like I I I often I throw around the, the term fascist a lot, and you know people will accuse me of using it too much. And I'm like, no, literally, just everything you've been taught is fascist. Like we live in a fascist country now. Doesn't matter who's in power, it's fascist, and almost every country in the capitalist world is fascist. And I'm like, to me, more and more, I just I don't see a difference between capitalism and fascism. Like I really just it ebbs and flows and maybe it hides itself better sometimes, but really this is like, this is fascism 101. Stop labor unions from existing, have a military dictatorship. Like that's what the fuck else is there to it? And like kill all the communists. That's fascism. Right. That's what it's all. That's like the core elements of fascism right there. So I don't know. I just, it's like, I feel like we can't, use that term too much i i really don't know that there's anything that like you could call fascist and be like well actually that's not fascist i don't know maybe i'm wrong but 
No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that yeah. fascism is anti-communism and anti-communism is fascism. So as soon as there's, you know, subjugation and oppression and murder of communists, that's fascism. You really don't need another qualification, although most of these... They're happy to give regimes, us more. Yeah, they'll, they're happy to give us more, but that's all it really takes. Yeah, like America is not on the brink of fascism. America has been a fascist country for at least 200 years. Yeah, like, since day one. Before, since white fascism people fucking was, stepped foot on the mainland. Yeah. Before it was even coined as like an understood, right? Like capitalism existed before the term capitalism. Fascism exactly. existed before fa- the term fascism. Yeah, I mean, it took a little yeah. while to get a, a term to define it, but it's always been the same. Yeah. And in South Korea, like, you know, just to remind the listener, like during this whole time, it was being supported by the United States. You know, uh, the U.S. is supposedly the uh, the the bastion of liberal ideals like, you know, tolerance and multiculturalism and, you know, having different viewpoints and (laughs) freedom of speech and all that. And Meanwhile, in South Korea, they're like, nope, kill all the communists, uh, outlaw the labor unions, uh, lock people up if they have the wrong books in their house, you know. Yeah, and I feel like Uh, this is a side tangent, but like this just kind of demonstrates certain things that are truths that you can understand the world through today. And I, again, cannot recommend blowback enough as it shows this. During the Korean War, it wasn't like, yeah, it was the United States military doing most of the stuff but like just to be clear it was the un forces this was a un action so the united nations everything they did was fascist and like it was at the behest of the united states under the control of united states generals who were controlling the quote-unquote un forces and that like you know that like um just that setup exists today so when like the un says this U.S. adversary is doing awful things, you have to understand that you got to take that with a grain of salt because it is really just a U.S. cutout. It is just U.S. hegemony making itself look legitimate. Um, And that was true then. It's true today. Um, The United Nations is really just all a bunch of countries under, you know, coercion from the United States through various trade deals and economic benefits or the threat of sanctions countries vote that way based on all of that shit so like when you hear this oh the un condemns da 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 almost all of it is at you know under control of the u.s and the u.s still looks bad in terms of like not voting for you know food as a human right and stuff but like (laughs) we are in control of the the united nations um and so like all of this stuff happened with like this uh idea that it was internationally like this is what's right and reasonable and that's like super fucked up how that how that works out if you know say for instance the most powerful nation on earth was a fascist nation what would they do but seek to use their power to legitimize every action that they take against any one that dares to question their power you know and i think that we can all agree that the most powerful nation on the world stage right now is United States and it is a fascist nation. Yeah. So of course that's what they do. They they try to convince their own populace and the population of all other nations that they are legitimate and that their actions are 
good and just and, and the right thing when they're just seeking to protect their own power. Yeah. Please, President Xi, my people long for freedom. <laughs> <laughs> and and I might be misremembering this, but I believe hearing in the Blowback podcast that basically the whole government of South Korea post-World War II was chosen from the um, the Comprador class, the, the people that collaborated with the Japanese occupation. Oh, so, yeah, like, and many of them went to school in, like, the United States and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So that was a big part of it. And then these are the, and these are the same people who tell us, you know, all these horror stories about the, uh, you know, North Korea, which they've never been to or know anything about. So, again, eh, take some of these stories with a grain of salt. Yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, I'll, I'll plug another thing. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Boy Boy, uh, a couple of... Um, Australian guys uh, that um, do political stuff. And one of the things they did was take a, a trip to North Korea, uh, ostensibly to, to get a haircut like uh, Kim Jong-il or whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, but uh, you can't do that. You'll be put to death. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you'll be put to death if you get if you don't get that haircut. What are you talking about? Oh, no, that's also true. Everyone in North Korea is dead. Oh, okay. Got <laughs> because you. of their haircuts. Yes. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a haircut-based <laughs> haircut based got political stage, system <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna read at length here from uh an article uh from libcom.org uh i don't know exactly the politics of this website uh they've got a penguin as their icon which i think represents something i don't know linux <laughs> yeah <laughs> having these <laughs> so in, uh, in 1980, late 1987, uh, strikes shut down production at many large firms, including uh, Daewoo, Hyundai, Kia, Samsung, and a business I've never heard of called Lucky Gold Star. Um, bus and taxi drivers struck on in their thousands in uh, Gwangju, Chongju, uh, Kunsan, Aku, and Kimji, as well as Seoul. Seoul. Um, uh, fishermen struck in coastal areas and in Pusan succeeded in shutting down the city's central fish market. 20,000 miners from 32 pits were on strike by mid-August, costing the country nearly half its national coal output. Uh, miners frequently clashed with police, occupied buildings, including uh, a train station in the town of Taibaik, and uh, lots of uh, company buildings were burned down. I support that arson against the company yeah that's oh, that's yeah. a good protest tactic I, I we should add that one to the list of possible i mean it works in minneapolis yeah it did hyundai workers were often the most militant clashing with police through july and august and often occupying shipyards and factory buildings hell yeah all right hyundai for the win <laughs> Hyundai workers. Well, yeah, that that's a, yeah. That's, sorry, that's what I mean. Uh, the workers are the company. I, I don't, I yeah. don't value fucking management worth a shit. So, <laughs> and you know, here's where I'll say, like, I, you know, a lot of people don't know that Hyundai doesn't just make cars. Like, they do a lot of like um, shipping. Like, you know, I don't know if they build the ships or just operate them, but like they operate ports and uh, do a lot of just like heavy manufacturing and. Um, it's, it's a big 
heavy industries company. It's kind of like Ugh, now I got to make a joke um, about the Hyundai Santa Marina or something, <laughs> <laughs> or Santa Maria, whatever the fuck. I don't know. Ship. Yeah. <laughs> Like the Hyundai Santa Fe, but the Santa Maria. Yeah, that's funny. I feel like they should, yeah, it should just be like the Hyundai Tiburon. It's just some giant fucking barge. <laughs> uh, sorry. Anyway, continue. Um, so in on August 22nd, um, Daiwu worker Lee uh, Suk-kyu was killed after being hit by a tear gas canister. And then... Uh, in September, Hyundai workers occupied the Ulsan City Hall. So between June 29th and September 15th, a total of um, 3,492 labor disputes were recorded by the government, uh, with an average of 44 industrial actions being undertaken per day. God damn. So do you have anywhere in your notes, like, how this was being organized, like I, I'm guessing through the unions, but like, what is the mechanism? Like, how did they go from you can't have any leftist ideas to okay, uh, we now have unions, and also our unions are super fucking militant immediately. Like, I'm just how did so that develop? there were there were existing unions, like even during Japanese occupation, but they were just like very tightly controlled. They're basically like, you know kind of like unions in America where they have like no strike clauses or, Oh yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like uh, corporate controlled unions, that kind of thing. So like comparison in the previous year in 1986, there had only been 276 recorded strikes in the whole country. And then like in a few month period, there were like 3,500 um, in 1987. I feel like 200 so, strikes in the United States today would be a lot in a year. Right. Maybe I'm yeah. crazy. I don't know. But like, I, I guess I don't know the actual number of strikes, but that would seem like a lot of strikes in the United States, which is really fucking sad. Yeah. Sorry. So it, it goes on here a little bit about like some of how these were organized. Um, walkouts had been purely spontaneous and unorganized at a large scale. The vast majority of workers were effectively on strike illegally. Uh, really? Required cooling off periods and other legal mandates had been ignored. And the illegal nature of the strikes was reflected by the tactics adopted by many workers. Interesting. <laughs> Large street demonstrations organized by workers and supported and supporters often turned violent. Workers clashed uh, frequently with police. Company buildings and factories were occupied. Managers were taken hostage. <laughs> uh, nice. And particularly cruel foremen were beat up. Nice. Hell yeah. So this was a lot of sort of uh, pent up aggression after the uh, decades of abuse um, of the workers during the so-called economic miracle of uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> the growth of South Korea. Wait, so 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 the secret to the growth of the South Korean economy was just fascism? Yeah, yeah, shocking. <laughs> well, that and and in, in huge investment from the West. So also fascism. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Investment is a light term for that, I think. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, so like for a long time, North Korea, which they said had a ton of investment from the Soviet Union and it had a little bit, but not nearly as much as they said. The North was 
economically far more successful. They just had better planning. They they industrialized in a in a pretty quick manner, even after their country was literally leveled. Um, to the, where yeah. like the quote is, there were not even two story buildings left in the country after the war. So they recovered extraordinarily quickly, and they were outpacing the South Koreans. And it was, in my understanding, a pretty big fucking embarrassment for like the entire West. Was like, oh shit, the North cannot like super outpaced the south that we've propped up so then of course they kind of tipped the scales by pouring even more investment in uh just to save face basically um right so so like just kind of goes to show that like the narratives that we are taught are fucking ridiculous so yeah the through the 60s and 70s like the north was far outpacing the south which still had huge issues and then of course all this pent-up rage which i don't know might be why they uh they were able to be so militant in their labor actions right so the following numbers i have i believe they're from the late 80s or early 90s it is saying that the average hourly wage across industries was about a dollar 75 per hour compared to at the time in the united states the average was about 13 dollars an hour for manufacturing workers. Um, I'm sorry, what? Korean, $13 yeah. an hour back in the 80s? I I think this was like Detroit auto workers like in the 90s. Oh, gotcha, yeah. These numbers from. So uh, Koreans also had to work uh, an average 57-hour week with, uh, I believe, with no overtime. So with all these labor actions, the workers were demanding uh, a raise of like between 25 and 60% and uh, shorter working hours. And in some cases, they got those demands, like up to 60% uh, wage increase. Alongside demands for higher pay, uh, the workers also called for improvements to the disciplined, almost militaristic way of life within the factories, including improvements to the quality of meals in the cafeterias, ending of strict restrictions on dress and hairstyles, you know, Um, (laughs) ending of uh, compulsory morning exercises, uh, abolition of distinctions between factory workers and office staff, and the termination of evaluation systems by foremen. Central also to the struggle was the issue of representation. Many company unions were taken over. So those were like, uh, you know, unions instituted and controlled by the companies themselves. So many of those were taken over and thousands of new democratic unions were founded. So strikes continued throughout the year, but the movement hit its peak in August. Uh, Millions of workers had been on strike, occupied their workplaces. So many, if not the majority of strikes were successful with workers achieving significant improvements to the conditions. Um, And like I said, up to 60% increase in wages. And then eventually um, they were getting ready for the 1988 uh, Olympics in the country and the dictator um, decided maybe it wasn't a good look to uh, suppress all these movements. And he called for uh, actual popular elections of the president to happen, which I believe I didn't quite understand the mechanism that Park had put in place in the 60s. But from what I understand, it basically amounted to like a couple dozen politicians picking the the president. And it was basically just a rubber stamp on 
whoever he had chosen as his successor. But, you know, like I said, he didn't get to actually institute that. He just uh, got assassinated. So this was the first election that they they had, uh, you know, the people um, picking the president. And so uh, in uh, February of 1988, uh, Roe Tai Wu was inaugurated as president. And so fast forwarding into the 90s, in December 1996, the National Assembly attempted to pass two laws that could uh, limit workers' rights. Um, they would have made it easier for businesses to fire workers and uh, allowed the use of strike breakers. Boo. So in response to this, workers uh, walked off their jobs in mass. So the, the strike was planned to begin on uh, Friday, January 13th. Uh, with a four-hour uh, walkout, and this included 34,000 workers at Hyundai's uh, at Hyundai's factories, uh, 18,000 at Kia, 21,000 at the Hyundai shipyard, and it would also include uh, transit workers that operated the subway system in Seoul, workers at 10 major hospitals in Seoul, and uh, lots of other smaller um, businesses. And uh, as these protests went on, um, beyond just asking for these laws to be repealed, they were also calling for the uh, for the the president uh, Kim Young Sam to uh, to resign. So remember that national security law that I brought up earlier, the the one from 1948. Uh, the government threatened uh, union leaders with this uh, law, basically saying. Uh, we're going to accuse you and convict you of working with North Korea and being communists uh, and put you in jail for, uh, you know, carrying out these strikes. Super cool. So by the third day of the walk-off, there were up to 350,000 workers um, on strike. And then there were two different uh, trade union groups, uh, sort of like affiliate groups that, had been like not recognized by the government at this point. Um, the Federation of Korean trade unions and the, uh, or FKTU and the uh, Korean Confederation of trade unions, KCTU. So they met and uh, decided to create a United front. And then by uh, January 15th, there were um, around a million people striking. So one little tidbit I found interesting is um Farmers were backing the the protest by delivering eggs to the protesters to throw at the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the the protests were also backed by the AFL CIO in the U.S., uh, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, um, and also uh, North Korean students um, that were uh, acting in solidarity. On January 16th, the government conceded and uh, affirmed that the bills would be sent back for revision. In March, they were revised, and the uh, trade unions I mentioned, the KCTU, uh, achieved semi-legal status. Uh, I believe it was only officially recognized around 1999. The final bill that they sent back for revision um, was not that much different from the original. Um, A few concessions were made. Which, you know, it's that's kind of the, the thing with the trade, um, trade union protests. Like, 
even if you keep them up for a while, like people will eventually like lose enough money that they have to stop. Yeah. They got to go back uh, to work. That's yeah. That's a bummer. So one of their demands uh, was uh, school teachers and public servants um, be allowed to unionize. And that was not um, changed in the final bill. They were still, let's see, it says uh, school teachers and public servants were still denied full union benefits and employers were permitted to stop paying union leaders. The big major uh, concession they got was to um, halt the implementation of a flexible layoff program, uh, but that was only delayed for two years. So they, yeah, they had this basically assurance of no layoffs until 1997 uh, when the South Korean government was forced to ask the International Monetary Fund for a loan of $57 billion uh, due to a financial crisis. And this forced South Korea to adopt more Western labor policies in order to remain competitive, it says. Yeah, what, what do they call those? Uh, structural... Uh... Structural adjustment plans. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, con- completely unelected group is making demands of uh, South Korean workers, of course. Oh, it's... Same it's, old... I don't know if I've ever gone on like an extended rant about uh like world bank and imf on on here but the policies that they implement if you default on a loan are effectively they take control of your country right and we're seeing kind of some of that in um africa with some of the countries that are having coups and basically saying we're not going to put up with this shit anymore yeah some of uh, uh, the countries historically who have had the best success after defaulting uh on one of those loans the ones who have the best luck are the ones who refuse to pay outright and kick them out of the country. I think, I, th- yeah. I think Thomas Sankara was one that did that. Yeah. Well, and, and this is one of those reasons that like for decades and decades, the IMF and the world bank were the only ones were the kind of like the only, uh, the only game in town, but now with China in the mix, they're offering much more favorable loans and it makes it's, they, it makes money for China, and all they do is undercut the IMF and the World Bank and just offer better better terms. It, it's very, it's a really simple thing. And I have seen people call this like, you know, oh, this is Chinese imperialism. And, and I, I sometimes see people call things that I would just call diplomacy imperialism, and I feel like that's just not understanding what imperialism is. Offering better loans often in... in return for favorable votes at UN and other economic things. That's just called business. Like that's just normal shit. That's not imperialism. Also, um, but, the, yeah. the loans have more favorable terms, but also if someone is struggling with repayment, uh, IMF and world bank will just fuck you over. And China is known to actually like work with, uh, people and like restructure loans so that they can be more, uh, easily repaid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so that's where it's like, you know, I again, as we all say, you know, of course, I have my criticisms of China, but like that's one of the best things they're doing right now. And by just simply undercutting the power of the IMF and the World Bank, that is a huge improvement for global geopolitics. Like that's that that is a that is no small thing to be able to do that. So here you can see why those loans from the IMF and the world bank are just so fucking bad. <laughs> like, right. And like, if, you know, if you 
for a second assume that, okay, China is actually doing imperialism with these loans or whatever, then what the hell is the U.S. doing with the IMF? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, if anything, it's that that's that's real imperialism. If anything, I don't know. So, in uh, in 2012, uh, uh, Park Geun Hee, uh, the daughter of former dictator Park Chung Hee, was elected president of South Korea in uh, with promises to rein in the the Chaebol, the big industrial conglomerates. Um, you know, from abusing workers or from, uh, you know, being corrupt. Um, she didn't actually do this. Um, I'll go into that in a second. I was about to uh, say, like, well, we know that didn't work. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd be shocked. Uh, the daughter of the former dictator didn't rein in the fascism. Wow. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. In, uh, but meanwhile, in 2015, a militant labor federation with a diverse membership spanning trucking, construction, auto workers, and public teachers organized a rally in uh, Seoul, basically uh, trying to mark, march on the uh, presidential residence. Um, they were uh, protesting uh, a plan to um, make the labor market more flexible by giving employers greater leeway in dismissing workers and also against her decision for a government selected panel to write the high school history textbook. Oh, great. Yeah. I don't know. I wish, uh, industrial workers in the U S would, uh, protest when Texas was, you know, saying, or what was it? Florida was saying that, uh, you know, slaves had it good or something. I uh, that's remember. Florida, but I'm sure Texas has some, uh, school cur- curriculum stuff going on as well. Um, uh, it just, it is. It's all about control of information, and and when it comes to history specifically, there is no non-political way to tell history. There is no oh, yeah. not. There yeah. is no such thing as objective history. It doesn't exist. Get it out of your head. Um, so like, when some asshole tells you, oh, this and that about the USSR, or whatever, again, take everything with a grain of salt because there is no objective history, and you have to look at the source of this information and the actual evidence that you have which is often, unfortunately, uh, less evidence than we would like to see. Yeah. So in 2016, um, President Park was impeached as a part of an influence peddling scandal involving uh, bribes from several of the Chable corporations. Oh, big, big surprise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, not really reining them in, just taking bribes from them. Um, <laughs> which in the u.s is just legal so yeah. that's right. why we don't have that scandal is because it's just legal here <laughs> yeah it's not bribery it's lobbying it's totally different <laughs> so she was uh sentenced to 24 years in prison um in 2018 after being found guilty of abuse of power and coercion uh this was raised to 25 years and a fine of uh, 17 million u.s dollars uh, following an appeal. Um, but then the, uh, her successor, president moon would, uh, go on to pardon her in 2021. Oh, God damn. Yeah. So, um, that is where we are now, basically. Um, even in a, uh, liberal democracy where, you know, there are labor unions, there's free and fair elections. Um, there's, you know, presidents, 
going to jail, uh, you know, that just gets overturned. And, uh, you know, you can still get put in jail for saying the wrong thing. So, yeah, cool democracy and, and you got there. It's interesting in, um, I think on Means TV, there's a documentary I watched on, what was it like? I forget the name of it. Um, maybe we'll link it in the show notes or something. But it was about a woman in South Korea talking about like she had an experience where she went to North Korea and just like spoke about it in a way that wasn't like pro North Korea necessarily, but it was just like, Hey, uh, I feel like, you know, they're not like the most evil place on earth. Like we've been told and people in South Korea reacted to it so negatively that like she had constant death threats. In fact, was attempted to be like, some maniac like showed up to a talk she was doing and like tried to blow her up and like bombed the fucking um, place with innocent people there. And it's just like, it's all about propaganda and just like what you are allowed to think. And and, like, we think of like, and when I say we, I just mean the average American thinks of South Korea as like, Oh, that's the free place. And North Korea is the place where you can't say anything. And the truth is, you know, you say the wrong thing in South Korea and you will wind up in jail or you will, you know, someone might kill you because it's like you said something that isn't anti-North Korea. Like, and it just goes to show that, like, when the bourgeoisie owns all the information that you have access to, it skews opinions. And, you know, that's why sometimes you can't just, like, go by what does the majority of people think? Because, unfortunately, the majority of people can very easily be wrong. Uh, and also, I mean, just kudos to the to all the workers in South Korea who did rise up uh, at that point back in the day. I think a lot of that militancy has unfortunately subsided, though, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I think the 2015 protest movement against uh, Park was the last big one they had there. But I, I believe the... I, I haven't kept up with South Korean politics lately, but I, I believe I heard that uh, they are going in a more right wing direction lately. So I don't know, maybe things will pick back up again. You know, maybe all the the South Korean liberals are out to brunch right now. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. And I, I guess I should say also for anyone listening, that's like, uh, why aren't you criticizing North Korea? Like, yeah, I mean, there's definitely valid critiques of North Korea, like, um, can't think of any off the top of my head, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they get enough criticism is kind of the thing. Yeah. Like but I, I think it's, it's just a good way to contrast North and South Korea. Like it was the same country and just divided in half and, you know, against the will of the people there, the U S and, uh, has run a social experiment <laughs> You know, like what happens if half the country is developed along uh, socialist lines and half is, uh, uh, you know, run on hyper capitalist fascist lines? Um, See what happens. And like, I think zooming out a little bit, you can kind of compare other similar countries like, let's say, India and China, you know, or um, Haiti and Cuba, you know, like the socialist countries in many ways are doing a lot better uh, than their neighbors, you know. That, that were at a very similar developmental point uh, when that division happened, you know? Yeah, indeed. I think one of the, one of the most important things that stood out about me, again, cannot recommend the blowback podcast enough, 
But one of the things that, like, they pointed out was through, like, U.S. military, um, like, intelligence briefings and stuff, they showed that, like, the U.S. was keenly aware of the fact that, like, once they divided the country, war was inevitable because they couldn't reunify it without the entire peninsula becoming communist. So they pointed out that, like, there was a point where they looked at the possible elections and they're like you know if we just try and stop the u.s occupation now and we just let korea go back to being a united korea the communists would be in control of the entire country within five years and like it's just it goes to show that like the north didn't have to be the like hermit kingdom that it is now that which we have forced it to be like the communists could have won democratically without any real resistance uh and the u.s knew that and so their actions and their decisions to destroy the north were based on the fact that they knew that in a democratic contest the communists would win hands down yeah and i believe the same thing happened in greece after world war ii also yeah the u.s is basically like we're not allowing communism to win here so we're gonna wreck your shit uh yeah i think that was some operation gladio shit yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's amazing how effective yeah. it's been too, because like they beat down the communists into submission, uh, extrajudicial murders, you know, horrible military dictatorships, and yet somehow through that like overt means, the people then eventually develop into fascists. Like overall, you know what I mean? Like it's it is amazing how like how cartoonish it almost seems when how they like portray it in a dystopian novel. They're like, oh well, this leader just tells people you know war is peace over and over again right like they just beat it into you and like apparently it fucking works and that is a scary thought to me that like right how effective it is because they just the evil fucking fascists just say the same thing over and over again and it works and i, I don't understand that but um it does seem to be effective unfortunately yeah yeah i hear plenty of people say in the united states oh it's just common sense you know yeah it's just well that's all the notes i have uh anything uh to add before we uh, wrap up here guys i was just about to let you know that we should wrap up hyundai's cool now (laughs) well anyway on that note i would just say uh i just point out hyundai does make at least one cool car although i oh do they still make it oh i better find this out now uh but I think the Hyundai Genesis is kind of cool, or like you know the Genesis Coupe, like the rear wheel drive. They do not make it anymore. They do not make it anymore. No. Okay, Hyundai sucks. Fuck Hyundai. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that was a cool car. I mean, it's kind of wonky and weird and whatever, but like they were cool. They were a decently cheap uh, rear wheel drive car, and they drift pretty decent. And I think they look good. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Had to make something about cars. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised that Kia is as old as it is. Like you mentioned them in one of the earlier protests. And I had, I had, was under the impression they were like a uh, been around since the nineties or something. Uh, no, I, I know they're around in the eighties. I don't remember like the, I don't think they were in the U S at that time though. Oh, fair enough. Even nineties was the but, thing uh, I was saying. So I didn't embarrass myself because I actually thought it was the two thousands. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, it probably, it existed in Korea much earlier. And again, a lot of that stuff was 
centrally planned and propped up by the West and like from government loans, because of course, capitalism, uh, despite the, uh, the old adage, uh, capitalism does not breed innovation. It requires <laughs> a lot of investment from elsewhere. So I don't know. Look what it did for Kia. Now they have the nine inch nails logo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, anyway, on that note, uh, I don't know if you like what we're doing, go ahead and give us a, hopefully a good rating on your podcast app or, you know, come follow us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and someday threads, maybe at some point we'll get there. Give us time. Uh, oh, and we're on Hexbear as well, which is yeah. the old Chapo chat, something or other. I don't know. Yeah. We're all and shoot us an email. Yeah. There you go. Shoot us an email. Cars and comrades at gmail.com. Yeah, if you got wheels, Bryant, let them know. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Capitalism works if it works at all because it always has socialism to bail it out and, and to subsidize it. Ask any race, any real race. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. In the 1980s, 50 corporations controlled most news media in America. By 1992, that number shrunk to two dozen. And today, only six corporations control 90% of everything Americans see, hear, and read. The money spent on the Iraq war alone, which killed one million people, 5% of Iraq's entire population, and planted the seeds for ISIS to flourish, could have covered all global investments to halt climate change trends.